Welcome, Patrick, to my third podcast. I'm so glad that you're here to join me. My name is Simon Snowder, and Patrick, you are the president of this region for Visage, and you're also a friend of mine, so please share your story with us. How are you today? Yeah, I'm very well. Thanks for having me, Simon. How is everything with you? Everything is all right. So tell us a little bit more. Who is Patrick? Where are you from? What's your life story? Oof, okay. So I am from the UK, from the southwest of England. That's where I grew up. I left there around 18 years of age when I joined the military, the Royal Air Force. Spent seven years as a technician working on uh, jet aircraft. And then after seven years, I decided now was time to move on back to civilian life. And since then, I've done a number of career pivots in my time. It's been, uh, I've done electrical engineer. I've done, gosh, what else have I done? Offshore oil and gas. I then moved into recruitment. And today I find myself in recruitment technology. Wow. It's a bit of a crazy ride. But yeah, that, my life story involves, I've been married for 10 years now. And I have two children, five and two. Jamie and Sasha. Jamie and Sasha. <laughs> yeah. And, and Patrick, so you're saying you started your career in the Air Force. How was that to start on a military base? Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> it was needed. I, I was, where I grew up, there wasn't a massive amount of career opportunity. Most people, you know. Which year was this? This was, oh gosh, I was, that uh, I joined. God, I joined in 1999, so okay, some time ago. But yeah, there wasn't a massive amount of career opportunity I had down there. So joining the Air Force really allowed me to get away and travel, meet new people, get a bit more experience in the world rather than, uh, you know, your kind of uh, nice and safe haven in Cornwall. So it was good. It, you know, it taught discipline. It taught not to complain too much about a job, to get on with things. It taught a lot about teamwork. So there were a huge number of positives that you can take out of military life. But then you've got that decision. Do you stay in for the full 22 years, say, or do you make a break and uh, go back to civilian life? So you've got to taste a little bit of expert life because you were stationed outside as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was stationed, gosh, south of England, north England, even Scotland for a few years, including detachments to various places, Germany, Cyprus. So there was a, yeah, it gave you a really good overview about living away, meeting new people, from all walks of life and it was a great it was a great experience at that time in my life for sure yeah yeah and then which year did you come into Dubai and how long are you here yeah the classic Dubai <laughs> story <laughs> typical story so I arrived in 2010 with my girlfriend who is now my wife we came here with the classic story of just six months wanted to spend six months in opportunity rolled on to one year, two years, three years, and now 11 years later, we're still here. So I've gone from having a girlfriend to a wife to now having a family, so all these various stages. And we really consider Dubai our, our home. Yeah. We're really comfortable here, we enjoy the lifestyle, and I don't see us moving away for the foreseeable future. So yeah. it's been a great journey. And what was your top three experiences since you have been here in Dubai? Oh, gosh. That is a tricky one. <laughs> I mean, as you know, living here, there's, you've got so much opportunity to do some really cool stuff. There's been a lot, but kind of things that stand out, I'd say. I did a parachute jump a few years ago, which uh, for the adrenaline rush, and the, yeah, at the time was amazing, over the Palm Jumeirah. Have you done that parachute no. jump? Oh, come on. <laughs> you need to do it. <laughs> Scared of heights. <laughs> um, what else? 
Gosh, I've... Um, I enjoyed my, my 40th birthday last year when we rented out the villa on the Palm Jumeirah and I had all my friends there, yourself included. We had a great night celebrating my 40th in that villa. That was a really nice... That was a very moment. nice... That was cool, yeah. Was it was very, very cool. customised to me and <laughs> yeah. it was a lot of fun. So, yeah, that was really cool. The third part, I think, is the travelling aspect. So... You know, being in this region where it's geographically located, you're within all these countries that are two to three hour flights away, but some really interesting places. When years before we did, I did Syria, we'd done Jordan, Oman, Sri Lanka, India. You're the same, right? You love yeah. traveling as much as me. Yeah. So I guess, do you see that as a major benefit of, of being in Dubai? Absolutely. Connectivity. And also the representation of the different nationalities here. Yeah. So you can easily check with people like, hey, how is it in your country? What is there to see? Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. Well, but look, in a few days, you're off to Romania for holiday. Yeah. I'm off to Albania. So yeah. that's a really cool part about living in Dubai. It's just that ability to, you know, to travel if that's what your passion is. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Patrick, you started to work for Visage now some years ago when it was in a very early stage of their startup company. Very early, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us more about first, like, how did you find the company and what made you decide to join a small startup company that was not established yet in the market the same way that it is now? Yeah, I know, I'm just laughing at the, the, the thinking about the, uh, the, the experience and the journey. Three and a half years ago, I was working as a recruiter. Yeah. And... I was really thinking about the future of recruitment and where recruit, recruitment is heading and say in 10 years time, is a recruiter as such going to be as relevant? Is technology going to be overriding a lot of the things that they do and is technology the future? And that's where I started looking more to pivot towards a career in recruitment technology. So I was looking at the market and what's available and um, my old boss directed me to my current boss, um, Joss. And I spoke to him, I talked about the vision and what Visage did and what they were aiming to do. And for me, this is like a really cool technology. This is something I really want to get involved in. I didn't get accepted into the company immediately. So mm -hmm. I ended up first investing in the company. And when they saw that I would actually was willing to invest in the company, they were like, this guy is serious. Maybe we should just give him an opportunity. <laughs> Maybe we should just talk with him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just so after that, it was kind of okay. I, I got to join the company, but there was only three of us back then and not much money left in wow. the pot. And yeah, it was at a stage where the company had a lot of potential, was in a challenging position. So there was a huge risk element here involved. You know, um, being going on to almost no salary, but going into a position where you're just looking more for the next two to three years and build the company. Yeah. And you started with Visage because of the, the software capabilities that it had. You mentioned that, it, that you, you saw that recruitment was changing and you said, will people be still as useful compared to how software can impact this industry can you explain more a little bit about what the software does from your company and, yeah. and how it adds value to the industry yeah of course so you know what I always looked at with recruitment is that a lot of the processes I saw were very manual very mundane it's like you know a lot of this stuff should be automated and, and with you know AI advancing more and more it was like well this is surely the direction it's going a lot of these mundane things that recruiters are doing 
is eventually going to be taken over by AI and, and by technology. Yeah. And that's why I looked at Visage and I saw what they did. So where Visage is, I think it's such a cool model. It focuses on helping talent acquisition teams where they've got these very hard to fill jobs where maybe if they post a job on LinkedIn, they don't get the quality of candidates coming in those type of roles where recruiters have to go out and do a deep search on the internet to find these candidates. Yeah, Visage does it for you, and it does it by using a combination of human and AI. So a, a global community of 4,000 qualified freelance sources that are recruiters based in 65 countries, they're the ones who do the sourcing upon request and assisted by our AI, which qualifies their submissions. So it's like an Uber model for recruitment. We have a lean organization and a whole global community of freelance sources who earn money for sourcing upon request. Yeah. So I definitely see the benefits in that. I mean, personally, I sometimes get approached by recruiters for like financial manager position in a company. And I'm like, have you seen my profile versus what you are looking for? I don't make balance sheets and financial statements. I don't think I'm the right fit. Mm. So I don't think software was involved there. <laughs> no. I just think no, yeah, a, a human error. It is. But, you know, it's, sometimes it's a matter of what, what I would call a, a bit of a post and pray or a spray and pray when, they, um, you know, when a recruiter can just do a basic search and send it out hoping that they get the right person who matches that and comes back to them. Some of it can be like they just don't have time to do it to do it properly. In the current market, that is what we're really seeing. It's such a candidate-driven market that recruiters just have so many job roles that they've got to work and not enough time to do much, basically. You know, what's more important is interviewing and hiring people. They don't have time to source properly and find people who match their role, perhaps. So this is where Visage is coming in to automate that top of the funnel and take away that mundane, that complex part of the job that the recruiter, you know, could be um, more impactful doing other things. Yeah. I also have seen a good example, like the recruiter from Holborn, he approached me like two or maybe three years before I joined the company and he kept messaging me saying, I just want to build a relationship with you. Let's have coffee. And I kept saying, no, no, no. Till there was a moment where I'm like, this guy doesn't give up. And this relationship you build up because, you know, you don't want to keep saying no as well. So in the end, I end up meeting him in a hotel, having a coffee with him. And he was just a nice guy. And I guess that's a good part of the software that it frees you up to focus on the elements where you can really add value as a recruiter. Yeah. Exactly. Myself, I personally believe that, that, like I say, with Visage, we've developed this software, this technology platform, which can automate this sourcing of quality candidates and engagement. We source and we help with the engagement. So we bring these quality candidates to you interested in talking about your job. If you can automate that, why would you spend so much time actually still doing mundane manual processes why don't you focus on the interviewing why don't you focus on the hiring and coordinating with the line managers yeah this is what it's all about this is where this is the vision visage has it's to automate make life simpler provide deep data 
um, simple data that people can look at and use appropriately to improve their processes and understand what's going on in, in their hiring. And I think one of the benefits from your software is also that they approach people that are in jobs instead of people that are looking for jobs. Correct. And for people out there that don't know the difference, I think when you are in a job, you are still not thinking about leaving, but you might still be very qualified for the job. Yeah. So if somebody approaches you then, doesn't mean that you can still consider taking the job. Yeah, exactly. There's two types of candidate, or let's look at two types of candidate. You get the job seekers, the ones that are going to apply to the jobs that you advertise. Yeah. And they're the ones who are in a job, relatively happy perhaps, but open to opportunities if they get approached. Especially, Vizard focuses on those ones that are still in, you know, passive candidates in their jobs, maybe content, maybe not, but open to it, you know, would listen to an opportunity. And that's what we do. And we believe that's where you get the best quality of candidates because they match what you're looking for. They're qualified. And, you know, as long as you engage them in the correct manner yeah. and with an interesting job offer, you can drive better quality candidates to your roles. But in the current market... You know, this posting and this LinkedIn posting and inbound marketing isn't producing the type of quality candidates that companies need. So in this current climate, there's a lot of companies who are opening their eyes to technology and using and needing companies like Visage to bring quality candidates into their into their hiring pipelines. And and how have you seen this industry developing? Because we, we, we're just coming out of COVID mm -hmm. where people were not hiring, people were firing. Mm -hmm. And then pre-COVID, we had, uh, I guess, uh, a decent situation e in the economy. Mm -hmm. But how is the situation now? So when I started, you had the post-financial crisis where um, it be, and where from, say, 2009 to pre-COVID, it was, it was a long run, right, of, yeah. uh, what, what do you call it? It was, um, it was, a, it was one of the longest, like, Recoveries. Recovery periods, yeah. right? So during that time, it was still very, it was still a relatively high candidate-driven market. So, you know, there was a lot of hiring that was taking place and uh, it was a successful period. You then had COVID where the market obviously took a massive crash and a lot of people got laid off. And let's look at an example here. Recruiters and um, sources in agencies, in company, in uh, big organizations got laid off. First reaction, get rid of uh, recruitment. Yeah, we're not recruiting anymore. Yeah, yeah, get rid of the recruiters, right? Then you had this very fast recovery period and still going really strong. And the problem for organizations now is that their hiring has come back twofold. So they've got to, and they haven't, they've got rid of their recruiters and now they've got, they found there's a lack of recruiters, decent recruiters and sources on the market. Their team that they left or they had has got to deal with twice as many job wrecks. So this is the current market they're facing. It's a very candidate-driven market. It means recruiters have got to spend a lot more time going out and looking for the right type of candidates who are probably in a job already. And with this, they've got to work twice as many job wrecks. So couple this all together. It's, it's a market at the moment where companies are looking and thinking, we need technologies, we need uh, AI, we need automation as a means of helping our TA team, allowing them to work the number of job roles they have. So yeah, this is the current market we're looking at. It's, it's a tough market, but for recruitment technology, it's kind of a, a golden opportunity, a really golden period where I think companies are really going to embrace recruitment technology like Visage in the coming years. Yeah, and what are the 
type of companies that you are working with right now and what are the projects that they specifically like your involvement in? Well, you see, Visage, we're quite lucky in the fact that we look to work with enterprise clientele, which, um, which means um, companies over 10 to 15,000 um, employees. The big companies. The big companies. We spent a few years ago, we were concentrating more on the SA, you know, the smaller companies, small to mid-market companies. But there's a number of, while it's easier to get your foot in the door with the, those companies, it can be more difficult to retain them because sometimes their recruitment budgets stop, their hiring stuff fluctuates. It can mean that you can, you know, your client growth is not always as regular as you need. So we moved to more enterprise clientele where you could, it took longer to get in the door. It was more processes, but once you're in there, you can build more stable, more long-term relationships. So that's where we work. That's where we focus on these enterprise clientele of the world. And the good thing is a lot of our competition tends to look towards a smaller mid-market. So we've got that kind of nice focus towards there. Yeah, and they also have good budgets. Yeah, exactly. They tend to have good visions. They kind of, you know, they can do these special long-term strategic projects that focus really on um, automation and making their teams more efficient. So yeah, there's a lot of benefits of working with an enterprise customer. You've just got to really learn how to navigate and make your way through the vendor process and tick all the boxes with uh, compliance and security. But yeah, once you've mastered that, it presents some fantastic opportunities. In terms of projects that you mentioned, my personal project in 2022 is to expand the APAC and EMEA region even more. Because what you find is that a lot of recruitment technology is more US-based and US-focused. The US has generally been a lot more advanced in terms of adopting recruitment technology. I used to think that maybe EMEA and APAC was kind of five or ten years behind the US in terms of adopting recruitment technology, but COVID has changed this completely. It's closed the gap significantly because companies in here at APAC Middle East, EMEA, Europe, they realize now that they need to adopt more technology as a means to helping their teams. So it's a great opportunity, and that's where I'm focused for the next year. Yeah, that sounds great. And you have this revolutionary way of changing potentially the HR industry. How do you see that this can potentially also change, the, for example, the financial industry? Do you think this can help also financial advisory firms or in the financial advisory that this kind of software can be adaptable for better hiring? I think so. I think um, it can help any type of company as long as you know, they have you know, a high number of vacancies that they need filling, but they have a clear idea of the type of candidates they need to fill those roles. As long as there's that clear idea of the candidate profile, and they can be found by sourcing the candidates on LinkedIn, then Visage can come into an organization and, and help that team, help it um, automate these practices, help it scale these as well, and allow your recruiters to focus more on talking to people like you and enticing them to come into their organization. Yeah, sounds, sounds <laughs> like a good idea. Yeah. And, and what is your personal experience in uh, financial planning? Is it important for you? Is it a high priority, low priority? I, I put it as a medium to high priority for sure. As I was growing up, my parents were big, you know, good investors. They liked to put a good portion of their money away for a rainy day. So when you see that, yeah, I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be like that as well. 
not to say I was like that in my teens or my early 20s. Most of that was spent debt-ridden and uh, being bailed out by my parents. But around the mid-20s, I started to put more thought into savings and um, especially more into my 30s. I've learned a lot more about it. Uh, you know, I've looked to create a lot more of a diverse portfolio and look at other things, not just um, saving plans, but you know, looking at property, looking at um, index funds, looking at even a bit of crypto. So I put a lot of emphasis on it. I believe it's important and yeah, I quite enjoy doing it as well when I have the time. Yeah, and, and did you learn that from your parents or were you incentivized yourself to start saving and to grow your money? My parents were more about, at the time obviously, back then you can put it into a bank Bank you, deposits. Yeah, bank deposits. and you, you With get, interest rates. Yeah, yeah. The, back in the, yeah, those days when you could get 5% for your uh, Yeah, for your the money. good old days. The good old days, right? My, that's what my parents were more invested in. And a little bit of stocks and shares, which I didn't really speak to them too much about or really understand. But as I started to get more interested in it, especially with property, I, I invested in property, but I just found oh, this is, it's a lot of hassle. Mm. It's a lot of hassle and I don't want to put all my eggs in one basket. So... That's what I started doing a bit more research, started looking at um, you know, stocks, started looking at bonds, started looking at precious metals. And then just the more I learned, the more I just started diversifying the portfolio and doing different investments in different places. But that comes down to having the time and ability to do it as well. And that you haven't always got the time to do it, especially with a job, especially with uh, yeah. kids. Hence, I was always keen to kind of get with, uh, at least find a um, trustworthy and financial advisor who could also help me with other areas of the portfolio. And what are the areas that you do you like to focus on yourself? And what are the areas that you say, okay, here I want to have help or support with from a financial advisor? So when it comes to stocks and shares, a few years back, maybe I would have taken that option of even advice there, but everything is so easy these days in terms of the different apps that yeah. allow you to invest in those. You can easily put it into an index or yeah. you know, have a bit of a flutter across various uh, companies. So I tend to focus on that area myself. Property as well is more my area. I'll manage it. Where I've gone to a financial advisor would be more for... Things like I wanted to do a university fund. I wanted to just set something up for my um, for my kids that would just tick over. I could trust it would get a certain percentage return and not worry too much about it. That's when I looked to go to a financial advisor. Other things like short-term investment plans, say like two years into a, a certain plan to get some uh, quick, you know, like some medium risk returns. That's something as well where I would go to a financial planner because I don't have the time to do as much research and in the application process. So yeah, that's why I, uh, that's yeah. my kind of separation. Okay, so between short and long term, that is potentially something that you would consider right you go yeah. yeah exactly you look at short term you look at long term yeah. long term i tend to give over to medium to long term i'll give over to um, yeah. to a financial advisor short term where it's easy to manage and i can literally go onto my apps every no, no more than twice a week say that's where it's more the short term can be a, you know a little bit more of an enjoyment a little bit more fun yeah. should we say because you, as long as you've got the time to have a, to manage it then yeah yeah because out of your story, you know, you invested in the company that you work now. Right. You invested in property. You've invested in the stock market, yeah. index funds. 
in bonds. So you, you're quite diversified in asset placing. Yeah, and that's from talking to someone like you as well. We've mapped it down. We've looked at the distributions. We've seen where sometimes it's a bit heavy. Sometimes we need to concentrate on other areas. And that's been really helpful. Yeah. And did you find it possible for you to save better now that you are in Dubai, now that you're an expat compared to when you were back home? Gosh, <laughs> tough one because, uh, yeah, I left 11 years ago. So yeah, <laughs> and I was back then I was single and yeah, it's, um, it's a tricky one. I think uh, what was interesting with my wife, we have initially we kind of had differing views on savings. I was quite heavily about putting a lot of money towards the future. Yeah. Um, my wife was a bit more about living for the moment, enjoying things while you can. So we actually combined these two aspects. And what we have now is actually really good. We, you know, we don't, we don't try and scrimp too much on, you know, we like to have holidays. We like to go out every so Because often. you like traveling. Yeah, yeah, we like traveling. We want to spend the money on travel and things yeah. like that. But, you know, we, but then we agree that a certain portion gets put away for, uh, for saving plans and things like that. Not yeah. as heavy as I used to be, but that, that's good because I was probably on the two far too heavy side of yeah. investing and yeah we've got a nice compromise at the moment which works well for the both of us i definitely agree on that i mean i, I also sit regularly down with my wife of course you know I'm, I'm i'm a financial advisor but she is very interested in yeah in saving money and growing her money herself and she right. has her excel sheets and she's tracking everything and she's keeps you on your toes yeah <laughs> so even in my free time i'm like forced to think about it but yeah. for traveling we have a large portion of our income dedicated to that um, outside of the normal things like rent and uh, other expenses uh, but that does not mean that you cannot save you can have a portion of your money spent on the things that you enjoy yeah. like traveling having a good time yeah. but at the same time that does not mean that you cannot grow something for later no absolutely um yeah, so the, the way we work is just we make sure we agree that a certain portion gets put away and we, we do it. And then it comes down to whether it's a short-term kind of thing that I can put into stocks and shares, say, or we come to someone like yourself to, uh, to see what's the kind of latest interesting medium to long-term plan that uh, we can invest in. And how do you see this market? Because do you get approached by people that want you to invest, not just financial advisors, but, you know, we have banks, we have real estate companies. I mean, personally, I see my text messages exploding now on real estate, for example, here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, I get, so, you know, I think Dubai kind of have a bit of a reputation as, uh, you know, sometimes the financial advice you can receive can be a little bit here, there and everywhere. And over the years, it's, um, I've been approached by numerous people. I'm how they get my number, I'm not sure, but some I'd get inundated with calls, in mails, you know. Um, I've, I've taken a couple of times, I've met various people, but most of the time I'm very disappointed when I speak to these people because the information is extremely vague. The questioning is not, you know, they don't answer the question how I want. And a bit more probing, you, you tend to find a number of hidden costs that weren't kind of being discussed uh, up front. So it really tarnished my kind of, or what can you say, it really um, affected my the, the, that fact that I didn't want, you know, I was very cautious about going with a financial advisor. I really felt the industry were, you know, was, you know, I had to be very cautious of that. But yeah, we, we met. 
we introduced and um, when we sat down, I just found you were much more transparent. You were much more, uh, you know, you, you answered the questions. You could tell you were knowledgeable of the industry and put all that together. It, over time, we built the trust, right? And when we had that level of trust, it was like, listen, yeah, I'm yeah. fine. I'm happy to, uh, to move forward with you. It's great to hear, and I want everybody to have a good experience in our industry, not just with me, but in general. But I guess also because we are maybe in an expat environment, people can come and go. So maybe the, the settlement factor where people feel like whatever they do might not stick for a long time because they can take a plane out and go back home. Yeah. So maybe that is also something that affects people. But how do you see this advisory part affecting with your company like what you're saying is that the transparency is something that was missing in the financial advisory industry which i agree with you mm. having somebody that you can have a q a session with where you ask them proper questions and you want also a proper reply back mm. do you see when you have conversations with your clients now with your prospects that they reply back in a similar way or how is their experience yeah i mean it's about trust, right? Being honest and just building that level of trust. It's, it's the same, it seems like finance. It's the same yeah. if I go to a new prospect talking about my recruitment technology platform that's going to do this and that. You know, I, I need to answer the questions directly. I need to be a problem solver for them. You know, not just a salesperson, but, you know, like a kind of thought leader in the yeah. area and a problem solver and help them to really show what the issue is and how, we, and how it can be solved. I like that. I like that. One of my mentors told me when I started in this industry, great guy, his name is Khaled. uh, He said, Simon, it's not about making a sales, it's about solving the problems. Right. And also being there when there's problems that don't always lead to a sale. Yeah. If there's a problem, you are the guy to solve it for the client. Yeah, exactly. And that that can take time, right? Yeah. It's not always you're going to close that sale on day one. It's Can you give me an example of where you had a situation where there was a problem from a client and in your conversations with them, they expressed that and without them paying for it, you solved or you tried to solve it or you offered a solution where the problem got tackled? And there's been situations before where I've talked to a client and you know we've ran through what their kind of real hiring challenges are, what their pain points are. And where I just didn't feel that Visage was actually in a right position or their budget was not at the right time or the moment was not right, then I've told them and I've said, you know, this is probably not the right time for us. There's something else on the market that I know of which is going to be more suited to you or there's another offering or another company that does these type of services which can help you. And then six months later, they've come back and they're like, okay, well, things have changed a bit now. This is how it is now. This is what we're looking at. Can we have another talk? And wow. the fact is, it's just, um, you know, sometimes, I mean, our sales cycle is generally, um, say, for anywhere between 60 to 90 days. But sometimes you get clients coming back like six months later, one year later, the, the landscape changes quickly and they remember you and they mm. remember you if they've had a positive experience and you've been more of a thought leader. You've helped them then with their challenges, not try to do a kind of very quick sale, which, you know, but more assist them with what they're, how to solve their challenges there and then. And always just kind of keep in touch and uh, let them know you're there for them. And that's the best result. You know, if they come back a year later, it's uh, it's a real win and it tends to lead to a more long-term relationship even. So, yeah. And you recommended 
another company because you were honest to them and transparent because you did not think your company was the right fit. And despite that, they still came back to you yeah, later. Exactly. I mean, I don't want to sell them our solution. The thing with us is that, you know, we if we take on a client and then we lose them three months later, it's it doesn't look great for your metrics. You know, we call it churn. You churn to the clients and they've gone, they've gone relatively quickly. It does not look good for um, the company or your investors. So you want to establish these long-term partnerships and you only want to establish long-term partnerships if you've actually got the ability to help them with those hiring challenges and if they haven't got what that or you're not aligned it's better to be honest it's better to assist them and help them out and keep in contact see them later down the line things change quickly right yeah <laughs> yeah a, a small company can become a big company and people it, move as well yeah and people people yeah. in the current market the turnaround of people moving companies i can't keep track of some people you go on to LinkedIn and you have a look, three, moved three months ago, moved four months ago. But if they remember you and maybe you couldn't solve their pain point, their previous company, they might come in and within a month of being in that company, they're knocking on your door. And being transparent and honest and real to clients, I mean, that's something that I don't hear often here. And this pains me because, you know, I have the same approach as you and it's, it's not always good for sales. No. But it's good for me looking in the mirror. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a w number of ways. Yeah, personally, I don't want to sell something to somebody where I feel, you know, it's not actually going to be a benefit to them. Yes, I'll get my bonus for signing on, but later down the line, it's going to be, it's not going to go well. And I'd rather not have that on my conscience, you know, and I'd rather... And also down the line, right? Down the line, yeah. yeah. Negative news, especially on social media, LinkedIn spreads... I heard one of my colleagues in my old company contacted me the other day and he was saying, I spoke to someone, um, one of your former clients in the UAE, you know, saying how great Visage is. And it's things like that. Wow. It sticks. It spreads. People have networks. People have the recruitment groups, all these type of things. And it's, you, yeah, if you keep that positive relationship, you'll reap the benefits. There's no quick win. <laughs> well, generally, there's no quick win. Yeah. And it, it takes uh, a long time to build up trust but it only takes a couple of minutes right. to destroy trust. Exactly, exactly, yeah. And how do you build up trust with your clients? Just as I said, with uh, long-term, you know, it's not always, always short-term, it's medium-term, it's long-term. It's being aware of their hiring, you know, their, what their challenges are, helping them to find the means of solving that. But as we said, being honest. If yeah. you feel that you can't offer that solution, be very honest give a suggestion for something else which can help them out and um yeah i think that people really appreciate that yeah really do i definitely uh feel you on that i mean for just for example you said that you like to do index funds often i get calls from people they say maybe i should invest in the stock market very often i tell them why don't you just open up your own account at interactive brokers or sexo for the amount that you want to invest and the experience, you can just buy from ETFs. I even can tell you which ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I come and to all the time asking yeah. about ETFs. <laughs> yeah, and then, you know, you you have it under control. You have your own account. It will not cost you money. Yeah. If you don't like it, you can stop. Yeah. But if I hear them, I only give them the warning, like, please don't start trading stocks only from ETFs jumping into stock trading if you're unexperienced. Yeah. Because then you are exposed to potential losses, which is 
Absolutely. Which can happen, right? Because you get the confidence. I'm, I'm making money and the ETFs. And you say, oh, I see a Google stock. Oh, I see a Microsoft yeah. stock. Yeah. I don't think everybody should be a client. Not everybody should be converted. But most importantly, everybody is maybe a customer for the future as well. Exactly. Yeah, because people's life can or condition, life circumstances change. It might get into a better job. They might become uh, have a bit more disposable income. They might want to invest more, and yeah, they they remember, right? Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's good advice on uh, the stocks and shares. It's like my thinking with stocks and shares: you put in what you're prepared to lose. It. Yeah. It is. It is a bit of a gamble at the end of the day. If you're ETFs, not so much. Yeah. They've no. got kind of a proven track yeah. record yeah. of, of, of fundamentals. Return. Yeah. But once you get a bit more confident and you start to yeah do the uh, the individual company shares, then it's a bit more of a uh, yeah a bit more of a play. You know, a bit more. Uh, you've got to be prepared to lose it if you're prepared to put it in there. Yeah, true. M more risk, but also potentially more rewards. Right. Um, but the volatility, yeah, not everybody can deal with that. No, this is yeah. what I um I've always looked into around about the you know medium, low to medium level is where I'm kind of happy with for the medium and long term. And then if I'm having a bit of a my short term plays, there'll be an occasional high high risk one put in there. But it's just got to be money you've got to be prepared to. So yeah. right off if it goes horribly yeah, wrong and not most be likely it will about. not go to zero but it could drop no, you know the I ceo mean, uh, gets accused of fraud or something yeah. can happen or you don't know or something good happens they get a big deal and it can go up or 100%. look at crypto it was yeah. like um, a few years ago gosh i mean when we first yeah. invested into it, it was, your mood swings were going up and down you were checking your app every five minutes but stay well well clear of that these days um and patrick just my my final question for you before I'm going to wrap this up. I mm. want to know from you, where do you see the future of the HR industry? Because you are in the middle of this revolution where AI and in combination with, with good algorithms and software is having a massive impact on hiring. Mm. Where do you see this going in 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years? Good question. Very good question. It's clear that technology is improving. AI is making these practices easier. You know, there's a lot more automation coming out in the industry. In the short term, I think it's gonna it's gonna be a case more of just making being practices much more easier, much more fluent, just creating more more seamless flows and taking you know trying to take away those mundane things that recruiters are doing. So, short to medium term. I would say it's more about making those making recruiters just much more effective in their job, much more efficient, and just um, using um, getting them more, you know, just pr getting them more into the uh, the more important aspects of the job, you know, interviewing, hiring people, things like that. Um, long term, guys, challenging to say. You know, <laughs> does it move even more to a fully automated process? Are we going to have like these seamless like um, AI-driven automated hiring flows, perhaps? <laughs> Give me a bold statement, a bold prediction. Okay, well, Visage is wanting, you know, we want to be able to automate the entire top, you know, the majority of the hiring process. We want to be able to say for you, you're a hiring manager, you want to interview or you want to hire somebody, you could just put it quick needs into a platform. Before you know it, you've got fully lined up people ready just to sit there and just go straight ahead and, and interview. 
cut out a lot of the mumble jumble that goes in the middle as such. So, so you think this this will be mainstream? You yeah, think that th all companies, all top companies, will use either Visage, uh, which could be a market leader, or a similar company in the future? I think they want to use um, technologies and companies where literally where you can cut out a lot of the processes that go towards hiring people such as you know like the the sourcing the pre-screening all of this if this can all be done automatically or automated using ai so it can um, you know it can find people it can engage them it can get people into the process it can pre-screen vet them get them over to and, and cut out a lot of the processes in the middle it's going to save a huge amount of time it's going to save a huge amount of resources that sounds like a great a future, future. <laughs> yeah you have less, dare I say, it, less um, HR policy in the um, people or processes in the middle. A lot of it's automated, and for a hiring manager, they can have a very easy manner of hiring people. Yeah. Well, that will be a beautiful new world, and hopefully Fishash can contribute to that, which I think they will. And, and Patrick, you are definitely a star for coming here on my third podcast. I want to thank you so much for joining me. And it was a pleasure talking with you. Thanks, mate. Pleasure. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me.